Hi, welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Zach. And I'm Rin. And today we are concluding our series on Real Artists Don't Start by Jeff Goins. If you haven't listened to the prior episodes, that is okay. You can start here. You should definitely go back to get a more holistic view of the principles that we're talking about. But you don't need to know anything about the prior episodes that we've talked about to enjoy this one. You also don't have to watch them or listen to them in order. Yes, that's a good point as well. So today we are going to be starting by talking about the principle that the thriving artist apprentices under a master. And, you know, last episode we talked about this kind of renaissance era view of a wealthy patron uh, hosting an artist to create their art. And I feel like when people hear this, they're going to think about the kind of traditional thinking about the apprentice stonemason, um, you know, learning from the master stonemason until he becomes a a full-fledged stonemason or whatever, you know, as if it were, you know, 15, 16 in in rural Europe. But um, this isn't exactly what it's talking about. You don't actually need a physical person to be your master. If it can be a physical person, absolutely go for it. But if it can't, there are other ways that you can get around that. Absolutely. Um, You can read other artists. In this case, since we're writers, you're going to read other writers' stuff, and preferably a writer who's really good, who's well-recognized, and that you like their stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, my hottest take, most controversial opinion is I don't really love Lord of the Rings. Like, I'm so thankful to J.R.R. Tolkien for, like, everything he did for the fantasy genre, but when I go to read Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which I have read all of them, and I've read The Hobbit twice... I just don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's just not fun for me. It's just a bunch of men on a road trip. <laughs> so for so for you, Ren, that would be a bad master to apprentice exactly. under because that's, that's not the kind of thing you want to write. You don't want yeah. to write you don't you don't want to write the road trip adventures of middle aged men. Exactly. Road I'm more road trip adventures of teenage lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's a fun time. <laughs> I, I fully enjoy writing my teenage lesbian road trips. <laughs> um, but, like, you can also listen to commentary about that art. So maybe a good, now that I've given a non-example for me, a good example for me would be, like, Marissa Myers. Okay. She writes, like, the Lunar Chronicles mm-hmm. and Heartless, and she has her Renegade series, and she has a new Rumpelstilts one out that I haven't read yet, but I want to. Mm-hmm. But you can tell I really like Marissa Myers. <laughs> Um, but because I, one of my niches is fairy tale retellings and like twisted fairy tale retellings, she's like a great writer for me to like look at. And she's like probably one of the biggest fairy tale retelling authors out there. Um, and I can read her stuff and listen to commentary about it. And like, if I was really brave, I would email her and be like, hey, what's your writing advice? Because mm-hmm. sometimes authors are cool like that and they will respond to their fans' emails. But, I'm probably not that brave, so I'm not going to do that. At least not today. Um, not this week either. So sometimes writers will also write memoirs. So, for example, Stephen King wrote On Writing, which mm-hmm. is a great resource, um, which I read before I had read any Stephen King. And now that I have read Stephen King, I think I would have a different perspective on it if I were to go back and read it. Um, but one of my writing inspirations is a, um, a writer by the name of Terry Brooks, he was kind of the, he was kind of the in between between Tolkien and um, and Rowling. Is he the Shannara Chronicles? Yes, he is. Okay. 
Um, I've read, you know, he's published a bunch. I've read, you know, more than 30 of his books. And his style has, and the tropes that he uses has really influenced the things that I like and the things that I look for inside of my, inside of my writing. And so he wrote a, a memoir called Sometimes the Magic Works. And that is one of my resources that I can use, that I use to apprentice under the master of, you know, Terry Brooks. Um, you can, if this artist is, uh, uh, it produces a podcast, listening to that podcast is another example of um, apprenticing under a master. I'm a big fan of Brandon Sanderson, so I listen to Writing Excuses. Currently, he's not on Writing Excuses, which makes me a little sad, but I still love listening to to what they put out. Yeah, and he has his uh, Intentionally Blank podcast now as well. Mm. I don't listen to any of his podcasts, but I have taken his class a couple times, and I'm applying to be in the workshop <laughs> this fall, so fingers crossed that I get in. <laughs> 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 Good luck. Uh, thank you. It's so scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, so look at what an artist produces and then apprentice yourself yourself under their tutorship. Yep. Our next principle is the thriving artist steals from his influences. And first, a plug for a very good book by Austin Cleon called Steal Like an Artist. I've read it. I yep, think I've read it. read it because you put the show note together. Yep. Um, it's such a good book. It is really good. And when we should clarify, just in case anybody has any doubts inside of their mind, we're not talking about plagiarism, okay? Let's just oh, yeah. put that out of the way. What we're talking about is owning your inspiration. You know, going back two episodes when we were talking about owning your work. Um, owning your inspirations. Um, I mentioned that I really enjoy Terry Brooks, and part of the reason why I like that is because I like magic trees and I like magic rocks. Those are kind of <laughs> those are two tropes that I really enjoy. And I recently read a book, um, The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon, mm -hmm. that also has magic rocks and magic trees. And I really enjoyed that, despite the other things about the book that I was kind of like, eh, not so sure about, but overall... I loved it because I loved the opportunity to explore those explore those tropes again. And so I can own, you know, wanting to put magic trees and magic rocks <laughs> inside of my stories as a way of stealing from my influences. Absolutely. Because it's important to remember that there's nothing actually original about any piece of work. Like, mm -hmm. at this point in history, everything has been done before. So really, you just need to take all these fun story elements, put them in a blender, and mix it up into a fun new books movie. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was... Uh, I was talking to my wife about this not too long ago um, because she has been thinking about delving more into uh, writing fan fiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about was the pressure to be completely original. And uh, one of the things that I was talking about is how a lot of people think about creativity the same way that, you know, the kind of traditional Christian view of creation of, like, out of nothing, right? Out of nothing, you invent your, you invent your world and you write this story and it's out of nothing. You're just, you're just spontaneously creating it. Um, whereas the way that I think about uh, creativity is more thinking about there are all of these elements that are out in front of me. And creativity is organizing them into a new shape. So, you know, I can see, oh, there are my magic rocks, 
and there are my magic trees. And I really like the these other tropes that are out there. So I'm going to bring those all together and I'm going to set them, I'm going to arrange them and organize them into a story which is my own, even though it draws upon upon my influences. Absolutely. Uh, we have the quote, nothing is new except arrangement. I believe that's actually from Real Artists Don't Starve. Mm-hmm. And he might be quoting from somewhere else because I'm pretty sure I've heard it before. I read it, but this just goes to show, feel like an artist. Yep. Another thing you want to do when you're like stealing from your influences is build up muscle memory. And with writing, like we're not talking muscle memory, like typing on a keyboard. <laughs> like, Although you will be able to type faster if you can keyboard. Yes, that is very true. Uh, but you want to read a lot, write a lot, and understand how story works. Mm-hmm. Um, one art, one writer, one creator who I like. Sometimes I get a little tired of her because I feel like I already know stuff. But if you're a new writer, um, Abby Emmons and K. A. Emmons, they're sisters. They have the K. and Abby show. Um, it's a really great writing podcast. But Abby Emmons specifically does her Science of Story series on YouTube, mm-hmm. and it's it's. Sort of baseline stuff, which is why I don't I don't watch everything she produces. But like, very cool indie author who like understands how story like fits together. Mm-hmm. So if you want like a good resource to like learn about that, I would recommend Abby Emmons on YouTube. Yeah, for sure. I I just think about the idea that as you read more, you kind of become unconsciously aware of the language of stories, where you become aware that, oh, if there's going to be this big twist, then I need to drop some sort of hint, where you may not even know what foreshadowing is, but you can kind of... You can kind of do it, even though you don't know what it is, if you're familiar enough with the... if you're familiar enough with the form... Um, before I started writing, I had read, you know, over a hundred books and that was really great training because it meant that I was familiar with sort of the plot, you know, the way that plots are structured where you have the rising action and then you have the climax and then you have the falling action and just being aware of those forms inside of the things that you're reading is something that will help you to be a better writer. Yes, absolutely. And then of course you can always like go into the theory more side of writing. Yep, yep. And, like, actually look at diagrams and stuff for, like, plot structures. Like, I really like Harmon's plot embryo. Mm. It's, like, a circle, and it takes you through the rising falling action, but it's just a different way of looking at it. Yep. So, there's lots of resources you can find. Just... Google it. Google it. <laughs> yeah, Google is a writer's best friend. And stay tuned as we talk about other, other books about writing. <laughs> yes, of course, because... We will be doing more book club series. <laughs> Our final principle for the thriving artist is the thriving artist knows he must become. And so what this is talking about is that a thriving artist isn't born that way, but a thriving artist is made, right? It's I think about a think about an experience that I had when I was in when I was still in the drama department years and years and years ago, and I'm so glad that I'm no longer there. But Um, One of the things that our director said is that we needed to stop worrying about whether we got the magic fairy dust of talent when we were, you know, when we were babies or whatever, and work on developing our craft. Mm -hmm. And that is just as true of writing as it is of acting. 
you may think, for example, you may compare yourself to Christopher Paolini and be like, oh, you know, when I was 14, I wasn't writing, you know, Aragon or whatever. And, you know, despair because you don't have the baseline talent that Christopher Paolini has slash connections inside the publishing industry. But um, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that you are honing your craft and that you are becoming the becoming the thriving artist, which I think also plays into this idea that the it's a forgive me for pulling out an Aristotelian idea. But the thriving artist is not a destination, but it is an activity. It's not like you become a thriving artist and then voila, you will forever be a thriving artist for the rest of your life as if it were some award that the that a foundation awarded upon you. But it's an activity that as you do the things that we've talked about, about apprenticing under a master, stealing from your influences, um, being stubborn about the right things, collaborating, etc., that is being a thriving artist and that is thriving as an artist yes absolutely um it makes me think of an instagram reel i saw earlier today or yesterday i don't know but it was an audio that was like wow i can't believe how good you are at this how did you ever get to be this good and then the second voice goes practice and then like the first voice just goes on and on like i can never be that good like i have no i have no raw talent and it just like goes on like down this rabbit hole and every once in a while, the second voice will just, like, intimate, like, practice, practice, yeah. practice. I don't know if you've seen the same reel. I don't know how much time you spend on Instagram <laughs> reels. Um, but if I can find that audio again, I'll make a reel for the Quick Girls Quo Instagram. And we'll do it about writing and podcasting, and it'll be good. Um, but, yeah. So, hopefully, as we have gone through these principles over the course of the past month, you have been able to identify, oh, I haven't done that before. Maybe I should try that. Or, oh, I've never even heard of this. Maybe I need to learn more about it. Um, as you do those things, you are becoming a thriving artist and you are thriving as an artist. So we hope that we've been able to arm you with some of the principles from this book to to go forth and to thrive. It's definitely worth the read um, if you can get your hands on a copy. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Quid Pros Quo.